Thank you for listening to this message from Lifehouse Church. Amen. One big happy family. Turn to somebody, give them a high five. Tell them one big happy family. Tell them that right now. Come on, you're fresh off Thanksgiving. Some of you brought your relatives with you, which is awesome. We are waist deep. Say waist deep. We're waist deep in this sermon series, One Big Happy Family. And one of the things that I know about family is that family can get complicated. Amen? It's okay. Your relatives don't mind you saying it. Go ahead. Just give me an amen. All right. Amen. It's true. It can get complicated. It can get complex. It, it, can, it can be a thing that's just not that cut and dry sometimes in families. The complexity um, can be more of a norm than it is the exception, right? Um, things can get a little convoluted sometimes in the relationships and family. Uh, there can be a conglomerate, uh, if you don't know us, I'm using C words, right? There can be a conglomerate uh, of different problems that come up. It's not just one, it's not just two, it's not just six, keep it eight. Um, sometimes the problems can almost seem to compound minute by minute. They can come up. And for this reason, um, uh, and, and there's a reason for that, because when you're in a family, what a family member does doesn't just affect them, right? What they do affects me, and what I do affects them. So these things, the more family members you get involved, the more things can kind of compound. The more things can kind of get complex. The more things can kind of um, get convoluted. So we, this morning, we just really want to take a look at what it is in a family that has complex problems, which is probably all of us, honestly, right? Anyone in the house with me on that? Anybody got some complexity in your family, all right? Anybody got a little bit of complication going on here and there? A little bit of, yeah, now I'm getting some hands, all right? Some confusion, a little, cr- little craziness. There's another C word, all right? A little craziness going on, right? In the Bible, uh, believe it or not, all the families in the Bible, they just didn't get it all figured out. A lot of them had some complexities. A lot of them had problems. A lot of them had um, these crazy things going on in their family. And one of those families was Jacob's family. Jacob is very important in Scripture. Uh, his family was very important in Scripture because he had 12 sons, and his sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. The, the nation of Israel that you now know and that we hear about uh, in the news or you might see or learn about in some place or some classroom, that Israel really stems from these 12 tribes of Israel, which came from Jacob's family and his 12 sons. And really, a, Nathan, a nation was birthed uh, out of his family. And it sounds very simple because it's one guy named Jacob. But Jacob has a very complex family. And I want to tell you just a little bit about Jacob. Jacob didn't have one wife. He didn't even have, well, he had two, uh, technically. So say uh, two wives. Say two wives. I'll make sure you're with me this morning, all right? He had Leah and Rachel. Now, that wasn't uncommon back in that time to have more than one wife. But what was a little bit unique to all this is that Leah and Rachel were sisters, okay? And, and what complicated the issue even more is that Jacob got tricked into marrying Leah first, and then he married Rachel, who he really loved. How many know this is starting to get a little complex, right? A little bit of sibling rivalry going on, a little bit of the deception going on. Now, let's add into the complexity. He had two additional wives, okay? Say four, all right? 
This is getting complex. All right. He had two concubines. Each of his wives, Lee and Rachel, had concubines, which were female servants. And that was Zilpah and Billah. And each one of them had, and what could take place in that time, which was common practice, they could give their concubine to their husband to have children because it was honorable to have a lot of children. So now each one of them did this, right? Leah and Rachel give their concubines. Now Jacob's got four wives. Four. Four wives. All right? Huh. They have 12, not 12, 13 children between the four wives. It's getting more complicated. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, who's going to be in our story today, who's the next to the youngest, and Benjamin, and then a daughter named Dinah. How many know that's complicated? Four wives, right? Well, two wives, kind of sort of wives, two more sort of kind of wives, and 13 children. Could, could you imagine feeding 12 boys in your house? I want you to think about Thanksgiving and, and 12 boys in your house, all right, at one time eating Thanksgiving. I don't even want to think about it. It scares me, all right? It's complex. It gets complicated, and, and there's a potential for all kind of crossfire because there were some things not only going on in this family that were complex just because of the structure of the family, but because there were some things that really kind of was dysfunctional activity. There were some unresolved problems that take place in this family. And this morning, I want to take you into Scripture, and I want you to see some of these unresolved issues that take place in this family that was a very important family in Scripture that really the nation of Israel birthed out of. So sometimes, sometimes, how many know we put Bible characters way up here, right? And then we find out they're just real people with real problems. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, if you got your Bibles, if you're listening online, thank you for being with us this morning, and you can turn there as well. Genesis chapter 37, 1, they're going to put it on the screens, and it says this, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Now, we're going to pick out just a, a portion of scripture here. This is going to have to deal with his next to youngest son, Joseph. Just one scenario. There's a lot I could preach on out of his family. But we're just going to take this kind of this one incident this morning. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Billa and the sons of Zilpah. Now, that was the concubine's sons, all right? His father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So I want you to get the picture. He's the next to the youngest. He's not the baby, but he's close. And he's a tattletale. All right? The older ones did something. It doesn't tell us what. But he, didn't, he, he thought it was his job to be the police. He thought it was his job to report on what took place. So he goes back to his father, Jacob. He starts to tell uh, tattletale on what the other brothers did. At 17 years old, he's going and telling all his brothers. He's getting his brothers in trouble. And it says this. Now, this is the beginning of some stuff. And in verse 3, it says this. Now, Israel, who is actually Jacob, God renamed Jacob Israel, loved Joseph more than all his children. How many know there's a problem right here cropping up, right? Because he was the son of his old age. He also made him a tunic or a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw it, that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speakably, speak peaceably to him. And you're starting to see some of the problem in the family, okay? Jay, uh, Joseph is next to the youngest. He's a tattletale. He likes shooting his mouth off. Dad has a favorite in the family. And not only does he have a favorite, but he makes the favorite, the favorite a coat, of many colors. He lets the rest of them know that he's the favorite. This is going to cause problems. All the other brothers see it. They hate this kid. Like, they, they hate Joseph, literally. You start to see hatred take place. 
And it gets worse. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. You think he'd keep his mouth shut, but nope. He tells his brothers they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I've dreamed. There were uh, binding, uh, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf rose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaves. How many know that's not going to go well with your brothers on a good day, right? <laughs> Let alone when they hate you. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream. And he told it. He, how many know he had a talking problem? All right. He told it to his brothers and he said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him. He was even getting on his dad's nerves. All right. And he was the favorite. And his father rebuked him and he said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now listen, these were God dreams that he was getting, but he was shooting his mouth off, probably when he shouldn't have been. He should have been tucking this away in his heart because God was about to fulfill some things in his life, but he was just spewing it out there with his brothers, and it made him all the more angry. They hated him even more, and they began to be these unresolved problems that take place. A little time passes by, things don't improve, and actually they get worse. It says this, then his brothers went to feed their father's flocks in Shechem, and Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, are, you, uh, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to them, here I am. Then he said to him, please go and see if, they, uh, if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. I'm going to jump down to verse 18. That now when they, that's the brothers, saw him afar off, even before Joseph came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Listen, it's bad if one of your family members want to kill you, but if most of your family members want to kill you, you're not in a good place. You got a whole different set of problems. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer's coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, this is the oldest boy, heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic. They took the coat, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and they cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And I could continue to read the rest of this story, but I'm going to tell it to you instead. They strip him of his coat. They throw him into a pit. And instead of killing him, they decide to make a little profit off of him. And they end up selling him to Egyptian slave traders. They sell their brother into slavery. How messed up is that? Is this a complex family issue going on right here? All right. You thought your family had complexity. All right. This, there, there was some unresolved problems that, that led up to all of this. There was some favoritism going on by dad. You know, he, he's favoring one of the kids. Joseph, Joseph has the problem. He can't read a room. All right. He doesn't understand what's going on around him. He just keeps running at the mouth. He's bragging. He's talking up what God's going to do in his life. And it's angering his brothers. Um, and we don't read it in these passages, but I can take you back to some other passages. And there was massive competition between Leah, Rachel, 
Billa and Zilpah. So there was competition among the wives, and then there's eight or nine brothers who are so angry and so full of hatred that they want to kill their own brother. But the biggest problem that this family had is that they were willing to take a look at the unresolved issues in their family. Unresolved problems have the potential to tear a family apart. Don't underestimate the power of unresolved problems in your family. Don't passively dismiss an unresolved issue because it will not passively dismiss you. Don't pet it and pretend that it won't bite because it will bite. Don't act like it's not there because it will reappear and it will reappear much bigger and much broader and much wider. Make sure you're willing to diagnose the problem in your family. Now, many years ago, um, many years ago, I used to be a technician. And I used to work for a company, and one of my jobs was to go out and troubleshoot uh, equipment that was broken. And one of the things that I was paid to do was to go in and diagnose the problem. One of the first steps going in the door is I would go in and ask questions, and I would ask the customer what was going on, and they would explain to me. Then I would go take a look at the equipment. In my job, I was, get, I was getting paid good money to go in and look at this piece of equipment and figure out what was dysfunctional with this piece of equipment. What wasn't working right? What was the problem that was unresolved? And I was paid to actually identify the problem. I was paid for some other things too, but that was the first thing that I got paid for. We cannot resolve what we're not willing to label. If you're not willing to label the problem, if you're not willing to speak about the problem, you cannot resolve it. Continually trying to function in an unresolved issue is a recipe for disaster, okay? Continually trying to function in an unresolved issue uh, is a recipe for disaster. Pretending that the unresolved is going to somehow move you forward in life is a false notion. It's moving us forward, but probably towards a waterfall, <laughs> all right? Probably towards a cliff. Ignoring the danger sign does not remove the danger, amen? I can ignore the, and I'm pretty good at ignoring signs. So you can ask my wife. But uh, I'm the guy that will drive right past the sign, right? The danger sign on the road and it goes to take the road. But ignoring a danger sign does not remove the danger. If your car has a flat tire and, and you try to take that car up on Route 81, right? You, you, how many know a flat tire is a warning sign? All right. If you come out and it's flat on the bottom, that's telling you something. That's a warning sign. And if I hop in that car and I think, ah, it's going to be okay. And I hop up on Route 81 Monday morning at rush hour, I mean, know you're probably going to have a problem. You're probably going to have a crash. You can probably get, for all of you that, that has that car that has that clunking noise, and you just keep turning up the radio, right? <laughs> right? You just keep turning the radio up, and the noise gets a little louder, and you just crank it up just a little bit louder. You got a good system in there, right? You just crank it up a little bit. That's a recipe for disaster. You got to diagnose. Listen, Jesus. Jesus didn't just turn up the radio one day up in heaven. When he looked down on mankind and he saw that sin was a problem on this earth, he didn't just turn up the radio and, and turn it up a little bit louder and say, well, maybe it'll all work out. He didn't do that at all. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit didn't. They sent Jesus to this earth. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. We're getting ready to celebrate the time when Christ come to earth. And, and he didn't just say, you know what? I don't know. I think it's all going to work out. Let's just turn the radio up a little louder up here. Let's crank up the praise and worship in heaven. Maybe that'll all work out down there on the earth. That's not what happened. God said the Father sent Jesus and wrapped in flesh, right? Emmanuel, God with us, 
to come and resolve the issue. They labeled it. There was a sin problem on the earth. There was a sin problem with mankind. And that's why Christ came. He came and paid in the blood. We took the, the, the cup. That represents the blood. He came to resolve the unresolved. Stop accepting the unresolved as, as a, a normal thing in your home. Stop pretending that it's not there, right? That the tire's not flat. You, how many of you can go out and just set something in front of the tire, right? You can put a garbage can right in front of the flat tire. But it's still flat. If you slip around in the backside, don't just say, I'm going to live with it. Because the unresolved, if it remains unre unresolved, someday one of you, some of you, or maybe all of you are going to end up in a pit somewhere. You're going to slide into a pit. Tur turn to somebody right now beside, preach at him a little bit. Tell them if you, if you ignore the unresolved, you're going to end up in a pit. Tell them, come on, tell them. You could end up in a pit. Joseph's world flipped upside down, upside down because of unresolved issues. Can you think about that for a moment? 17 years old, your brother's throwing you into pit and being sold into slavery, get, being sent away and never seeing your family. Don't know if you'll ever see your family again. Don't even know if you're going to make it into the next day. This took place. His brothers, his brothers' lives changed. Do you know that? From that moment, the, the moment they threw him in the pit and they sold him into slavery, their lives changed. Every day, his brothers got up living with this dark secret in their hearts. Every day, they rose up hoping that one of the other brothers doesn't crack, right, and tell the truth. And the whole world come crashing down on their heads. Every day, they would get up and have to live with this. Don't just keep acting like nothing's wrong. Address the unresolved. Because ignoring the unresolved can land someone in a pit. Can I give you a couple first good steps? All right, sometimes we need just steps, right? Well, we hear something, we got, what's a good step? Well, be honest about what the unresolved dysfunction or problem or issue is and name it. Say name it. You got to label that thing. You got to give it a label. You got to call it out. You got to name it. Now, I hope right now in your head, you're labeling whatever it is. If there's a, 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 some kind of issue, some unresolved issue in your family, name it. If it's jealousy, name it. Call it out. It's jealousy. If it's partiality, call it out, right? It's partiality. If it's anger, whatever it is, just stop for a second right now. Name that thing in your head. If it's a sin, name the sin. Label it. If, if it's bad behavior, name the bad behavior, Right? Just say it. Um, just speak it out. Most of us can change our behavior unless you've got some kind of physical pro, you know, ailment of some kind that's, that's um, maybe altering your behavior. But for most of us, we can alter our behavior. You've got to name it. What's that unresolved behavior, right? Somebody in your family's got bad breath, simple chronic halitosis, and it's because they didn't brush their teeth. How many know you can name that? Amen? You can walk up to them and say, you've got simple chronic halitosis. You need to do something about that. Here's a toothbrush. Here's some toothpaste. Go take care of it, right? You got to label that thing. You got to speak it out. If we leave it unresolved, there's a pit in someone's future. There's a pit in someone else's future. What else can we learn from this family's mistakes? How many of you like learn from other families' mistakes? <laughs> I do. I do. I'd much rather learn from somebody else's than my own, right? They call that wisdom, by the way. If you learn from somebody else's mistakes versus your own, that's, that's called wisdom. And what else can we learn? Let me read you some more of this. Um, this is what these boys did after they sold their brother. It says in Genesis 37, 31, so they took Joseph's tunic, his coat, killed a kid of goats and dipped the tunic in blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether this is your son's tunic or not? Come on, they're playing dumb, right? 
And he recognized it and said, it's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. And without Joseph is torn to pieces. How twisted is that? These boys sold him into slavery. They take his coat, dip it in goat's blood, take it to their dad, right? Do you know whose this is, dad? They're just playing this whole thing. It's twisted. And Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. His family's in mourning, and all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave of my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. They sell their brother. They conspire to to kill him. They conspire. And and then they take his coat, and, and they dip it in blood. And then they take it to their dad. And they pretend day after day through times of mourning that that they're mourning alongside him. It's a lie after a lie. It's heaping deception after deception on one another. And and not one of them has enough integrity. Not even Reuben, who kind of stuck up right at the beginning, had enough integrity to speak the truth. Once we identify what is unresolved, we got to do our best to move towards a corrective measure. Can I say it again? Once we identify the unresolved, we got to do our best to move towards some kind of corrective behavior. When I worked as a technician, I not only got paid to go in and and figure out, right, to name the problem, but I got also paid to help resolve the problem. Matter of fact, most of the customers got pretty angry if I didn't resolve the problem after I left. Uh, You know what I'm talking about, right? You got to go in and label that thing, and then you got to start taking steps to resolve that thing, no matter how complex the problem appears. No matter how many feathers are going to get ruffled, because there's going to be a because complex problems have a lot of people involved, and, and it ruffles her. No matter how many lives are going to get stirred and shaken, because it's going to happen, right? You got to take some action. Unfortunately, we tend to do the opposite. The more complex the issue is, the more people that are involved in the issue, right? The more our brain runs. The more we're, we're playing out. Every, anybody ever play 562 scenarios in your mind, Right? 582 different angles that you're going to look at this. 562 people are going to be affected by this, and you're living through each one of them, right? You're figuring out how this is going to affect each one of them, how this is all going to work. And what we do is we get analysis paralysis. We just lock up. We, do, we just kind of get, and we start playing the what-if game. <laughs> how many ever do the what-if game? How many do it at nauseum, all right? What, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? Well, what if this takes place? Well, then this could take place, right? And you start naming the 65 things that are on down the line. And you, you, you can drive yourself crazy. Well, what if I speak up? Do you know how many lives are going to be affected? What, 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 what if my brothers cut me off from the family? I'm the one who says something. They'll all hate me. I might be the next one they throw in a pit, right? I could be the next one in a pit. What, look what happened the last time I spoke up. You ever play that game? I didn't go well, right? Last time I spoke up, you know, what if my dad will never forgive me? If I tell him what took place, he'll never forgive me. Dixie and I personally walked through some of this some months ago, not within the church here, but in another circle. And, and, and sometimes you speak up, you start playing these games in your head. You start thinking about all these different scenarios and all the people it's going to affect. And, and, you, start, and, you, and you can get analysis paralysis. And, and the thing is, if you just stay there, I'm telling you, somebody's going to slide into a pit or a crash is coming. Somebody's going to end up in pit. You got to understand, you got to speak up. You got, if nothing else, speak up so there's awareness. It may not solve the problem. I may know you can't change anybody, by the way, right? Turn to the person beside you, tell them, I can't change you. I can't change you. 
All right? You can't change the person beside you. I'm not telling you to go do the Holy Spirit's job. You can't do it. Don't, don't go try to do God's job. Uh, he does a great job. He doesn't need your help, right? He's not, you can't change the person beside you. You can't change the person on your left. You can't change the person on your right. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not your job to go fix everybody. Some of you fixers out there, all right? It's not your job. Quit trying to be the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. But there is a time when there's unresolved issues that are taking place. If nothing else, you got to bring it to the surface. You got to get some awareness involved in it. And you just bring it to the top. And that may be all you get to do. That might be all that you need to do. It might just be a matter of prayer after that, where you got to begin to pray and let others take care of things. But you just got to gotta take a step, right? When it's unresolved, identify it, say label it. Come on. He didn't even mean that. Come on. If you, what's the first thing you got to do? You got to label it. Label it, right? And then the second thing is you got you to you take a first step in resolving it. Take that first step. Label it. Take a first step and resolve it. Label it. Take a first step in resolving it. I, I want to share a scripture with you. John 8, 31 says this. And Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you know and remain faithful to Jesus' teaching, uh, it will take the un... Can I tell you what probably I should have made the first step? The first thing you do when there's an unresolved problem in your family, you take it to God first. Because it could be that you're wrong. I know this is going to... I know it's pointing at yourself right now. You might be thinking that's impossible. I'm never wrong. All right. Some of you are thinking, I think that a lot. Like, I'm not wrong. You know, who, me? But it could be that you're in the wrong. So you got to take it to God first. You got to say, God, this is what's going on. This is unresolved. I need you to speak to me. I need people around me to give me some good godly counsel. I need to make sure I'm right in this and I'm not tackling something that, that I'm way off on, right? We got to get ourselves all lined up with God first. That's the, you know, and then you take that first step towards the unresolved problem. Because it could be, you got to make sure you're in line with God before you ever go try to line up with anybody else. Before you start to try to resolve something that's out there that's unresolved. Make sure you got it right scripturally. Don't just go barreling in, book guns blazing. You might get somebody to tell you you're all wrong, and you'll find out you are all wrong, right? How many know that's an embarrassing situation? Right? You don't want to get yourself there. But it's unresolved problems. It's things that we want, you know, there's freedom. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And it's freedom for you and it's freedom for them. This is so nobody ends up in the pit. And some of you know Joseph's story. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And if the musicians would come. And some of you know Joseph's story. Some of you Bible scholars in here are thinking, well, I know all about Joseph. Joseph went to the pit. And then he went to Potiphar's house because that's where he was enslaved. And he, he rose up at there. And then he went to the prison because he got falsely accused. And it was in the prison where he interpreted a dream of a baker uh, who was a baker and a butler of, the, of Pharaoh. And, and because of that, Pharaoh heard that he interpreted dreams. And Pharaoh brought him up to the palace. And he ended up interpreting a dream for Pharaoh. And Joseph ends up being prime minister of Egypt. This turned out really well for him in the long run. And you might be thinking, well, none of that would have happened if all this dysfunction wouldn't have taken place, right? If all these complex issues weren't there, God, that must have been God's will. No, it wasn't. God can get you anywhere he needs to get you. Do you know that? He does not need our dysfunction or our unresolved issues to get us where we need to go. 
He, he doesn't. He can get us where he... You know, Joseph's dad, Jacob, was very wealthy. If one of those boys would have confessed, he'd have took off and went and got Joseph and brought him back. He had all the means to do it. He had all the personnel he needed to do it. He'd have went and got him and brought him back home. And God would have got him to where he needed to get him no matter what. But God sometimes will work his will in the middle of our problems, our unresolved problems, in spite of us. He'll get, his will will get unfolded sometimes in spite of what we're doing. Our job is to take a look at those problems. His dad should have recognized the partiality in his life and the, the hatred that that began to breed in his family. He should have dealt with the competition amongst his wives. He should have sat Joseph down and said, look, if God gave you a dream, you need to lock that up in your heart. You need to hold it in your heart, but you don't hold that over your brother's heads. You, you don't throw that in front of their face. You don't do those kinds. He sh- that's what should have taken place in this film. These were unresolved issues. Amen? How many thought that was in the Bible? There it is. Right? Unresolved issues. So what's the first step in your family? What have you not been willing to name? What do you want? What do you just keep pushing off to the side? You don't want to put a label on it. Because it's kind of painful. Because you know it's going to cause a stir. It's going to create some, it's going to ruffle some feathers. What is that issue? Amen? Some of you people who hate conflict, it's going to be hard. I'm just telling you straight up. But you got to do it. Label that thing. And then take that first step. Take it to Jesus first. Find out what Jesus has to say about it all. And then take that first step. Speak up. Speak up. Amen? I want you just to bow your heads for a moment. I can tell the way some of you are looking at me. I hit a nerve. Well, actually, it wasn't me. It's God's word that hits a nerve. I want you to think long and hard. Some of you have had unresolved stuff laying under the surface. And you get, listen, there's timing in this too. You've got to get God's wisdom in this. But you need to label it. You need to call it out for what it is. And you, make it, you need to take it to Jesus. And you've got, you got to ask for God's wisdom how to tackle this. You've got to ask for God's wisdom how to start stepping through on this. You've got to ask for God's guidance and his power and his strength. And if you don't like conflict, you're going to need to ask him to, to, to gird you up as you speak the truth in love to somebody. But you got to take that first step. Father, we come to you today. Lord, we all come before you. And God, we see in your word, God, that it is true and it is right and it is righteous. And Jesus, you said we shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. So Lord, the unresolved thing, Lord, we bring it up now. God, we put a label on it. God, right now, God, there's, in their hearts and minds, they're putting a label on it. And God, we're asking for the first step. God, first make sure there's a right heart in me. Make sure I'm tackling this from the right perspective. Make sure I'm not wrong in this. Make sure that I'm coming from a right attitude. But Lord, help me to step through. Help me to walk forward. Help me to get to the place, Lord, where God, I can, I can speak up. And Lord God, if nothing else, Lord, I, I, if nothing else, I bring awareness to what's going on. I bring the truth to the surface. I become salt and light, Jesus, just like you said. Lord, that there's light shining down on something. And, and God, there's salt, Lord, that might purify and that might cleanse. And Lord, that, it, that I might be salty where I'm at. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, as we get ready, Lord, to come into December and into Christmas, Lord, prepare our hearts, Lord. Stir us, God. Stir us. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for tuning in to this message from Lifehouse Church. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with us as we love God, love people every day, visit our website at www.lifehousecog.com.